We have the privilege of having with us uh, John Boyd, our missionary to Columbia, along with his family. Lucas got married to Clarissa uh, yesterday. It was a great time. And uh, we're, I'm just excited to have John here. Uh, it's been a while since he's been able to share with us. And uh, so uh, it's great to have you here, John. I know we talked a little bit over COVID, and it's just a lot. A lot's happened in the last past few years, but we're grateful you're here. We're excited to, to hear from you. So come ahead. Good morning. So good to see you this morning. I'd invite you to turn to the book of Colossians in the New Testament. And again, as I mentioned yesterday, it's been a blessing to see how the church has ministered to our son. And I wanted to thank each of you for that, because I know many of you that had an impact on his life, and it was a great joy to see him buried yesterday. With my wife, Holly, and our kids, well, not all of our kids because two of them were born in Columbia, but we've lived in Columbia for 13 years now, and one of the things I really like about living in Columbia is speaking in Spanish, and that's something that even when I'm here, whenever I hear Spanish, I'm attracted to, like, go talk to people and love that, and it's one, one of the things that I find interesting about speaking another language is that you're always learning, and it maintains you humble almost every day because it's going to make mistakes and you're constantly learning. I think I learn a new word almost every day. And something funny was about three years ago, they invited me to teach in the cemetery, seminary, cemetery, no, <laughs> yeah, I struggle with that word sometimes. Um, in the seminary, teach uh, a course on gr Spanish grammar and methods of investigation or methods of research. And when they told me that, I thought, this is funny because I'm, I'm American, <laughs> not Colombian. But they, anyway, I said, sure, I'll do it because no one else wanted to. But that, that's been great as well because each time I teach the course, I learn new things and am able to constantly improve in that. But there's something, I, I mentioned it, because when you're learning another language or when you're learning how to better say things, for example, um, you really, you, you maybe could learn something from the book. You read it, you, oh, I'm saying that wrong, or students, sometimes I correct them and say, no, you need to say it like this or write it like this. And there's actually a, a Royal Academy of Spanish that has, you know, the best way to speak Spanish and all this or write it. And it's one thing to say, I understand that in theory. It's another thing to put it into practice. And so even on the papers that they write for me, even though we've talked about something 10 times or 20 times, sometimes they still make the same mistakes. And I think that's very similar to the way it is with Christ. We know about Christ. We sing about Christ. We know Christ. But we need to constantly be growing in our knowledge of Christ. And it's one thing to know something about Christ. It's another thing to live that reality on a day-to-day -day basis. And so I mentioned the language thing because when you're speaking a language, that's what you live with. In fact, you think in that language, you speak in that language, and the same way should be with our Christian life with Christ. Look with me here in Colossians 2, and this actually comes out of a sermon series that we're doing in Columbia. And you really, I mean, the sections are all kind of linked together. Paul in this book links so many arguments together and i wanted to look especially at verse six and seven 
And we're going to just pick, go from verse 1 to 7, but let's read verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And we see here the need to build our whole lives on Christ. I love the words that Paul uses, rooted and built up in him, or literally you could translate built up on him. Our whole lives need to be built on Christ in everything we do. And that's something that, as I mentioned, we can know that in theory, but we need to do that every day in our lives, to build our lives on Christ as a daily walk of life, as Paul's saying here, to walk in him, which is something that continuous, to continue walking in Christ on a day-to-day basis. So let's just pray for a minute and ask God to guide us as we look at, at this passage. Father, we want to thank you this morning. Our hearts have been lifted to you in worship to see the greatness of your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray today that as we look at this passage, that you would guide us. I pray that you'd give me the words to say and that you'd take all distraction from our hearts and minds so that we could see Christ and build our lives on him, Father. We pray this in his name. Amen. So as we look at this passage uh, this morning, we're going to see that there are three habits that will allow us to build our life on Christ, our whole life on Christ. Three habits. And when I say habit, the idea of that is a a uh, disposition towards certain spiritual realities in our life. So that it's something that becomes deeply rooted, to use the same word that Paul does, in our heart and in our life on a continual basis. So look with me in Colossians 2 verses 1 to 3. Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We see here that Paul says that he had a great conflict for them. He wanted to be with them. He wanted to see them grow. And he was saying that because he was an apostle to the Gentiles, so that when he thought of this church, although he'd never been there, he could say, I have a great desire for you to grow spiritually. And I can understand him a little bit because I've heard of some of you that I don't know very much or haven't just met this weekend. And I can say I've prayed for some of you And I understand a little bit of what that's like. But, of course, Paul did it, I think, a lot better than all of us. But we see here that the habit here, if you look at verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Paul is using so many words to say that he wants them to know who Christ is. Not only to know who he is, but to grow in our satisfaction in him. Because when you look at this, he's using words that talk about grasping something that's unfathomable. Grasping something that goes beyond our understanding. 
And he talks about in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I think of that when we think we set our minds on Christ, we always have to realize that we're only going to grasp a small portion of who he is, how God has revealed himself to us in Christ. We can grasp that, but we need to continually grow in our knowledge of him and in our satisfaction in him. And that's why he uses these words, uh, for example, full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. To truly know who he is, and not only know who he is, but to see who he truly is. And that's why he speaks of treasures that are hidden in him of wisdom and knowledge. And I think of when we read the whole Bible, the whole Bible is allowing us to see Christ. I think of that, for example, when, I read, when we read the Proverbs, and then you think about this verse which says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And it's always an exercise in our minds to think how we can see that wisdom and knowledge embodied in Christ as wisdom. And so the main focus here of Paul is that he wants us to know Christ. As the end of verse 2 says, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Did you know that you can have a treasure without knowing it? I read a story about a couple in Scotland in the early 2000s. And they went to a garage sale, if I understood it correctly. They went to a garage sale, and they saw a plant that they really liked. And the plant happened to come with a vase, but they bought it for the, the plant. So they brought it, they put it in their house, and after a couple of months, the plant withered up and died. And they decided to just store this vase in their attic. They wrapped it up. They stored it in their attic for a number of years. Ah, they had paid one pound for it. Don't know how much that is in dollars nowadays, but one pound. And they left it up there in their attic for a number of years until a program, a television program for antiques came to their town. And they decided to take the vase just to see what would happen. They took the vase and it turned out to be the item of most value of everything that people brought. And in American dollars right now, it would be $51,000 this vase was worth. And so you can think, they had this treasure in their attic, wrapped up, and they didn't even know it. How many of us would like to have 51,000 extra dollars right now, right? <laughs> but when we think about Christ, and we think about who he is, he is infinitely valuable. And we, we can know him. If you know him, you have this treasure in your life, you know the one who is the most treasured one in all of history, in all of life. You know him, but sometimes we don't grow in our satisfaction in him. We don't see who he is in our lives. And so we simplement, or simplement, no, we just um, speak of him or say we know him, but we're not treasuring him in our life. We're not seeing on a day-to-day -day basis how valuable he is. And I have fallen into that as well, because we speak of Christ, we come to church, in my case, I preach, I teach the word, and it's something that's very easy to become routine, and to not see who Christ is, and to not grow in our satisfaction in him. And so we just 
go through the motions, right? And maybe you think, well, I've just, I've been a Christian for a while and I just have lost that first love. But we need to look to him and see that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And we need to have the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. If you think about who he is, look back at chapter 1, verse 15. Paul has a wonderful passage here about who Christ is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And I often think when we read passages like this, we're only grasping a small portion of who he is, right? We're only seeing, we can understand the words to a certain extent, but they go infinitely beyond all our understanding. And we need to grasp that. We need to understand that in him are hidden all the, wis- the, the riches or treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the most important one in our lives. And as the saying goes, the grass is always greener on the other side, right? And I think about people that I've seen come to our church, come to make a profession in Christ, and then certain things come up in their lives. And they start looking at other pastors, you could say. They start looking at other things that they think are going to fulfill them. Often it's a sinful relationship. Often it's money. Often it's a desire just for a change maybe in their lives. And so sadly, I could tell you a few stories of people who have left the faith. People have gone to other religions. And certain other religions have a certain attractiveness to them if, you, if you know, they're presented that way. But when you see what Paul is saying here, really none of that compares to who Christ is. And there's no other faith, no other religion that has Christ. Christianity and God's word teach us that only in him do we have the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So we need to continually grow in our satisfaction in Christ. How, How can we do that? And I was thinking as I was preparing this message, how often do we actually meditate on who Christ is? How often do we thank him for, for who he is and what he's done? How often are we, when we're maybe going for a walk, are we just meditating on who he is and what he's done for us? That has to be a daily practice of ours, our, a habit that we spend every day meditating on who Christ is to remember that he is the most satisfying one that we can know, and we need to treasure who he is, savor who he is. And maybe there's someone here in this group this morning who doesn't know him. 
And what a, what a great day it would be, a day when we can hear his word preached and we can see the Lord's Supper to realize that he's the bread of life. He's the one who can quench your spiritual thirst. He's the one who can save you from all your sins, who can redeem you and give you a new life. And then you can be satisfied, truly satisfied. And that's something that's broken my heart as we've come back to the U.S. to see that, I mean, just as in Colombia, we're seeing it more and more. And I think the whole pandemic, and in Colombia, we're still not out of the woods with that yet. <laughs> but that whole thing has caused us to remember we're not in the New Jerusalem yet. <laughs> we're not. where The world is not where it needs to be. The world is messed up. And people are looking for something to fulfill them and to satisfy them. And the one they need to look to is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 4 to see the second habit. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. He links verse 4 with verse 3, right? I say this. What was he talking about? Well, verse 3, he said, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. The second habit is that we need to build our whole life on Christ by continually rejecting the lies of Satan. By continually rejecting the lies of Satan. And Paul, from a distance, he was burdened for them because he had heard that there was a false teaching coming into Colossae. So he was burdened for them. Even though he didn't know them, he was worried. In the good sense of the word, he was concerned about them because there are people coming along saying that you don't have everything you need in your Christian life. You need Jesus maybe, but you need this, something else that they were going to add to it. And it's a whole uh, academic debate about what that was, but probably local practices, mystical practices, and also practices that they had brought from Judaism. And these people were thinking that that is what they needed to truly have a Christian life like God wants. And so we need to continually reject the lies of Satan. As I mentioned, verses 8 and following talk about some of those different false teachings that were circulating back then. You notice here in verse 4, Paul says that uh, in the ESV here, it says, may delude you with plausible arguments. That idea of plausible arguments is the idea of persuasive words, convincing arguments, elegant arguments, something that's attractive to us. And so they would hear this and they would be attracted by these words. When we think about the way Satan deceives us, he never comes out and says what he's doing. He's so subtle. He attracts us with things that are convincing, things that sound good, that don't have any substance to them, that are deceiving. And so we need to keep that in mind by continually rejecting the lies of Satan. And I mention continually because it's not just something where we say, well, I may be tempted to leave the faith and go to some other religion or something. On a day-to-day -day basis, the lies of Satan and the world can deceive us into thinking what we shouldn't think and into acting the way we shouldn't act. 
And I think of the Gibeonites. You guys remember the Gibeonites from Joshua 9? They were neighbors. They just lived down the road. And they decided when they heard about the Israelites coming, what'd they do? They dressed up in their oldest clothes. They put on old beat-up sandals. They got some old dry bread. And they walked and acted tired and told the Israelites they'd been traveling for hundreds or thousands of miles. And they had just come from two blocks away. And the problem there, if you read the story, the problem, there's a verse in Joshua 9 where it says they did not consult with the Lord. And so it says they were deceived because they didn't consult with the Lord. They just listened to this argument, looked at what they saw, and made a decision without consulting the Lord. And that's what can happen to us as well. We see something, we hear something, someone tries to convince us of something, and instead of talking to someone else, a, a more mature believer, talking to your pastor, we say, ah, this sounds good. I need to find out more about this. And so we go after that lie of the enemy, and we can be enticed. We can be, de be deluded, as Paul says there, if we're not on our guard, if we're not continually rejecting the lies of Satan. And as I mentioned, that has to be something on a practical level. When we are tempted with something, there's always a lie that goes with that. You think about Adam and Eve in the garden, what was the lie? You're not going to die. You can eat that. You're just going to be wise like God. And that's the lie that Satan tries to sell us all the time. And I was thinking, nowadays, the lies come in very slick packages, don't they? If you think about watching a movie, for example, every movie has a message it's trying to sell you. You maybe don't realize it, but movies have a message. And I was talking with one of my coworkers in Colombia, and he said, yeah, sometimes you watch a movie, and you're in your flesh, you're happy that they divorced their husband and wife and went off with someone else who is more interesting. And the movie for, or tries to delude you into thinking in ways that are not pleasing to God. Or I remember a movie I watched when I was a youth, and after watching that movie, I thought, what I need are fast cars, I need to get better, get buffered, <laughs> get better looking, and so I can, you know, and that's something that the movie doesn't tell you that outright, but the way it portrays life, it's selling you a reality that's false. Because what we need to do is build our whole life on Christ and on his word and reject continually the lies of Satan. And the sad thing is we can be excited about the Lord here and we walk out to the car and all of a sudden a, a lie comes, crosses our mind. And we have to reject it right like that in the moment. And I was thinking about a couple ways that we can be tempted by deceitful thinking about our faith. Maybe it would be interesting to try something else, you could say. Maybe I'm getting tired of this, and maybe there's something better out there. Or maybe in our moral life, maybe trying that sinful lifestyle wouldn't harm me. Maybe it'd be good to just try it out. And it's sad to hear when people who have named the name of Christ for years, and a temptation comes along, and they go after that temptation, and they leave their profession of faith. In our daily routine, maybe 
Maybe I don't need to read my Bible every day. Maybe I don't need to pray every day. That's being legalist, right? But those are things that God has given us, means of grace he's given us so that we can know him and continue to love him and grow in our love for him every day. Or maybe I can find my identity in, in some other cause. So I think nowadays people are looking for a cause. They're looking for something that will give them passion and that will help them to understand why they're here. But the one we need to look to is Christ. And as we saw yesterday with the marriage of our son Lucas to Clarissa, when you think about what God tells us, the relationship with him is like a marriage. Actually, he says it is a marriage, right? It's going to be a marriage. But when we think about a young couple, what do we want for that young couple? We want them to be completely committed to each other and in love with each other. And when they're in love with each other, some other temptation, another person could come along and try to attract them. But are they going to be attracted? If you're completely satisfied in your spouse, are you going to be attracted to some other person who tries to tempt you? But what happens when your marriage is going through difficulty and you feel apathetic and you're frustrated? That's when the temptation will have a lot more strength, right? And it's the same way in our Christian life. When we are completely in love with Christ, we know him, we love him, we're satisfied in him. We see that he is, as it says there, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the image of the invisible God. When we see that we have everything in him and we're satisfied in him, some other temptation isn't going to attract us because we're satisfied in him. So we, we need to continually reject the lies of Satan. Look with me at verses 5 through 7 to see the last habit. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. We see here that Paul uses a number of different words that have to do with persevering in the faith. He uses the word there in verse 5, the firmness or the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. That speaks of their perseverance in the faith. In verse 6, he says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. That idea of receiving is a, a word that's used for receiving a tradition that's been passed down. Receiving it with great diligence. Holding fast to a tradition they had received. It's like in 1 Corinthians 15.3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And he continues. But he's talking about something that's precious, that was handed down to him, that he received. And that is what they had received as well. Christ Jesus, the Lord. And for that reason, he says, so walk in him. Which, as I mentioned earlier, speaks of continually persevering in Christ and in the faith we have in him. When I read this about walking, it, it made me think about a trip that we took up the Sierra Nevada mountain about a month and a half ago now. 
And it was the first time I've gone up the mountain. My coworker, Colombian coworker, has done it. My wife and Lucas had done it. But it was the first time I was able to go. And we lived about an hour away from where we were going to go up. So we drove, got some motorcycle taxis, got 15 minutes up the mountain, and then started walking. And this walk up the mountain was about two and a half or three hours walking up the mountain. And as we were walking up the mountain, we ran into various obstacles. First of all, our hearts were pounding. <laughs> uh, there were wood ticks, which I'd never seen these wood ticks that, that are the size of like a little dot. And we came around a corner, and our, our Kogi guide, our um, indigenous guide, was behind us with a mule who had gotten a bit ornery. And so I was leading, and I came up to a spot where there was a fork in the road, and it looked to me like I should go left. So I decided to go left, left, turn the corner, and there is a huge bull right in the path. And I'm, my wife probably would have known what to do, but I don't know what to do with a bull. And so I said, this is not where we're going. So we went back, and we waited. And while we were waiting, as I mentioned, these wood ticks, because they're animals, they were covering us. We didn't really notice it because they were so small. But we noticed it afterwards. And we continued two and a half hours up that mountain with obstacles and difficulties, and we made it. And I think that is a good illustration of what our Christian life is like at times. Sometimes we come to a fork in the road where we don't really know what to do. Should I go right? Should I go left? And we could easily become confused by that. Or maybe we have a bull in our life that comes out of nowhere and we don't know what to do with that. A difficulty. Something that throws us off. Something that leaves us without answers. And that's something that we need to remember to keep walking. And here, if you look at that verse 6, um, in the original, in him is before, so walk. So it says, in him walk. The focus is on Christ through this whole passage. In him. So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. And so we need to continually persevere in the faith we've received. In order to do that, we're going to be like a tree that's rooted and built up in him. And that's something where we live there. We live in Santa Marta on the, the Caribbean coast. And there is one tree that's right next to a river that whenever I read this verse or Psalm 1, I think of this tree. It is the most impressive tree, I, one of the most impressive I've ever seen. The, the trunk is probably diameter of three or four meter yards. And it goes straight up with huge foliage, branches everywhere. And we can be having a year-long drought, and that tree is always green. That tree is always flourishing. It's right next to the river. And any water, even when the river dries up, that tree continues to flourish. Why? Because it has a huge root system that provides it with stability, that allows it to gather water, and so that's what God is telling us. We need to be rooted and built up in him. Persevere in our faith in Jesus Christ. And remember that we need to build our whole lives 
on him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And I know here in our church, you receive sound teaching on a weekly basis, but we need to put it into practice every day. And when I was writing this sermon a couple weeks ago in Thangho, which is where I go to teach at the seminary, there's a restaurant which has some great cappuccino, great coffee. And I was just sitting there at my table alone, kind of in this niche where no one else was. I was happily, well, let me tell you one other thing. I had totally forgotten I was supposed to preach that Sunday. And I wrote, a guy writes me from our church. He says, Pastor John, what's the name of your sermon? I said, no, Pastor Alfredo's preaching. And then Alfredo writes me a message about five minutes later. You're preaching. You're on the schedule. Ah, Friday at one in the afternoon, I realized I need to preach Sunday. So I go to this coffee shop, and I'm just fully concentrated. I'm banging away on, the, on my computer for three hours straight. And at four, well, it wasn't, it was like two hours. At four in the afternoon, all the workers, all the waiters, the owner of the restaurant start sitting around the tables around me. The restaurant dog comes and sits right next to me and starts begging. The guy over here has his cell phone with YouTube playing some obnoxious video with high volume, which is something that, wow. The, <laughs> the table over there is celebrating a birthday party, laughing riotously nonstop. And the guy right here next, next to me is smacking, licking his lips and smacking them obnoxiously which I have this thing that that just grates on me. And so as I'm reading, verse, I'm in verse 6 and verse 7, and I'm just starting to seethe within me. I'm like, I need to write this sermon. <laughs> and then the Lord used this to remind me of something. And I thought, you know, that is an illustration of what happens in my life. I get distracted by so many other things that are happening in my life, in ministry, in my family, in my neighborhood, that I, I'm not seeing who Christ is. And I'm distracted. And I'm not focusing on him. And maybe I'm not speaking of him in my life. I'm not thinking about him because I'm distracted. And I just said a quick prayer. I said, Lord, help me focus in on Christ and see the truth of verse 6 and 7 and apply it to my life in a way that's practical so that I can start living in a way that's different. Because in all honesty, I was at a point where I was just going through the motions. And I was doing everything, but I wasn't seeing Christ. And I don't know if, if that's where anyone here is at, but... I pray and have prayed that God would use this text to remind you to persevere in Christ in your life. And look at the last part of the verse. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That's the result. When we live in Christ, when we build our lives on Christ, we're going to glorify him. We're going to abound in thanksgiving. We're going to be a testimony to those around us, whether Christian or non-Christian, that they need Christ in their lives. We all need Christ in our lives. And what a blessing it is to share this morning as a church to break or have the, the Lord's Supper together <clears throat> and remember what he's done for us. So build your whole life on Christ.
continually grow in your satisfaction in him, continually reject the lies of Satan, and continually persevere in the faith that you've received. So how has God spoken to you this morning? Do you know the Lord Jesus? Maybe you've heard about him, but do you know him? Have you believed in him? Have you received him? Are you satisfied in him? Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for who you are. We give you thanks for your son, for your spirit. We give you thanks for your word. And Lord, we want to give you our lives this morning and ask that you'd renew our joy in Christ, our satisfaction in him. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone who's being tempted in their lives, that you would help them to see that whatever the enemy is offering is nothing compared to Christ. And Father, I pray for each one of this church, for myself, that we could be completely satisfied in Christ and build our lives on him every day. Forgive us for the many times that we've gone through the motions, that we've not been rejoicing in him and abounding in thanksgiving. We give you thanks that we can share the Lord's Supper this morning and remember what your son has done for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.